beautiful song. It would be hardly, it would be hard to get one more appropriate for tonight. And what we're thinking about with respect to the life of faith as we come down the home stretch here, uh, we have two weeks. We have tonight and next week to finish up our consideration of faith. Now that won't, we won't cover it all. And even now we have to kind of condense things to make it all happen in the next two weeks. But it's important that we, we grab hold of what was in that hymn, that it's not I, it's Christ that lives in us. And that is the entirety of our hope in this life. So let's commit our time to the Lord, and we're going to look at this matter once again. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and give you thanks for the position that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have all that we will ever need for time for eternity. We thank you that we can experience that by faith. And we're coming and asking you once again to work by your spirit in our midst to enable us to grasp hold and understand your truth and to then walk by faith. And we would look to you for it. So we commit our time to you. Thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're coming down to the home stretch again, I said, and uh, in order to uh, make sure that we've said everything, I want to do a little bit of review. Right? You always have to keep going back to review. We're going to do it again. What I want to do is go over the last four weeks, kind of in, in the next 20 minutes or so, and say what we said just to highlight the points that we need to make, because we have come to this conclusion that faith is personal trust in a person. That's where we started. That's one way to look at it. The other way we, could, we said we could look at it is, a life of faith is a life in which I listen to, I receive the words of a person, Jesus Christ, and then I build my life on what he said. So the faith not only believes certain things, has an inward trust towards that the person of Christ, he then it then acts on that in building. So if the acts aren't there, then the faith really isn't there. How did that work out in our experience? And we saw, first of all, that the foundation, this is where we were all fall. We were thinking about this fact, that the foundation for a life of faith is justification. What does that mean? Before I was converted, before you were converted... You were in under the wrath of God. You were in a bad place with God. That, all that means is that, that the anger of God was towards us. His face was against us. His heart was not exactly towards us because of sin. And in another sense, it was towards us because he was providing salvation. But individually, we were in a very dangerous place, which if we met him at that juncture in our experience, would have cost us eternally. By the grace of God, he brought us to an understanding of what he had done. When he came to this earth, he came so that he might become the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God simply means this, that he would be the sacrifice. He would go before God as a sacrifice to carry the weight of my sin and your sin and the sin of the world away. The first step. In the life of faith is a step in which I come to that person, listen to what he says about where life really is in him and not on this earth. And I come to a place where I entrust my life into his hands. That means repenting from sin. That means placing the, the weight of my life into his gracious hands. When I do that, a wonderful thing happens. The sin which would have destroyed me is taken away. That's what justification means. God gives to us his the Lord gives to us his righteousness in such a way that God, the Holy One, the one who is true and faithful, the one who is honest, could look at me, could look at a person and say, Not guilty, despite all that was behind. What a tremendous thing. Now that brings a blessing with it. And that the beginning of that blessing is this. Paul says it in, in Romans chapter five. Therefore, being justified by faith, the war's over. We have peace with God. That establishes a relationship which won't change. Once it's entrusted to him, it's his. And the ones that are entrusted to him, he won't let go of. And that forms the foundation of a life of faith. 
We are never in the life of faith trying to achieve that position. We start at that position and we begin to build a life. From that position, life, a life develops because he didn't just come to, to re- take away sin. He came to give us real life. Now, that experience of life will begin right there. But we also saw this personal trust in a person. The entirety of the life of faith is based on me walking with a person. And that personal element of Christianity has to be maintained. Without it, it becomes just formalism. It becomes external things. But there is a person who met me that night that I was converted, cleansed me from my sin, and agreed in His grace to walk with me for the rest of my life as my life. Wonderful. How does the life of faith work out? And we've been thinking about this over the last few weeks. We've gone over four. The fifth one we're going to cover tonight. But the first way we describe that is the life of faith is a life of courage. It's a life of courage. Um, The most common command we saw was what? Don't be afraid. Because there's good reason on this earth to be afraid. But here's what happened. It's a life of, of courage because the one who is walking with me, right here tonight, the one who is with me tonight and who is with each one of you who have entrusted your life into his hands, that one happens to be in complete control of the universe. That's pretty good. All right. And he has promised that he will never look, he will never leave me, and he won't ever be caught looking the other direction. Let you down just means that somebody doesn't carry through with their part, but he's going to carry through with his part. He is the one. And for that reason, we saw the life, the Christian life is a courageous life. God didn't give to you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind to be able to face the realities of life as they come up. But the first part was that he knew, or we know, he is both in control and present and in control. Now, as we go through these different factors, I think we should have noted this, that it's not as if these are different parts of our lives. It's just one life. We only live one life. It's just different ways of looking at our lives. They overlap, and that overlaps into the second one. It's a life of sufficiency. A life of faith is a life of sufficiency. God not only promises that he will control those circumstances so we will be safe, but he tells us this, that as we move through those circumstances, he will be everything we need him to be in the circumstances in order to face them and, and be what we need to be in those. We saw this with regards to Paul. Paul said he had learned this. It took him time to learn it, he said, but he had learned it that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. That not only would the Lord control the circumstances, but when he came into those circumstances, he would have the capacity to face them courageously and successfully because of the Lord being with him. Hanley Mullen, in his um, morning act of faith, puts it this way after he talks about the fact that the Lord was given to him. That He says this, There is no difficulty... This is his morning act of faith as part of it. There is no difficulty within or without which he is not ready to meet in me today. Isn't that tremendous? Nothing you're going to face, nothing I'm going to face. So the life of faith becomes one of relying on that person, walking with that person and counting on him to supply the needed strength for whatever the circumstance happens to be. So that tonight, as I'm standing here, I have to believe God for the capacity to keep my thoughts together, to say what has to be said, to keep with the Word of God, to act by faith. I've got to count on Him for that. I've got to count on Him so that there is clarity. And boy, we're going to, we're going to be into something that's going to take the Spirit of God helping you to get clarity on. All right? But I have to count on Him, right? Because He brought me here. And he wouldn't put me in this place. He wouldn't get to this spot and then desert me now and not not supply what's necessary. But that counts for every dimension of our experience. Because when Paul said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, 
He was talking about being in a prison and putting up with being in a Roman prison. He could do that. And he could be fruitful in that. We're just reviewing, so we have to keep moving. It's a life of spiritual development. Now, that's, that's a new way of putting the idea of sanctification. Sanctification is a big word, and you, everyone gets excited about that. But, uh, and there's a lot of ways this can be expressed. Sometimes it's expressed as a life of victory. I don't really like that so much anymore. I used to like that when I was young. I don't like it so much anymore. Because I don't think it, it, it's, it puts too much strain on people. All right? Because the whole life has to be learned. And it's kind of like being under a good coach who's trying to get you to, or a good, let's say, a musician who's trying to teach you how to play an instrument. They're never happy. All right? Once you master one thing, we've got to go on to the next thing, and we have to go on to the next thing, and we have to go on to the next thing. And if you're not careful, both do the same thing in athletics. The coach is always telling you, yeah, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And once you get that down, then he's got some other problem you've got to work on. Because he wants to go up here. And in a real sense, that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. He wants to make us just like Jesus Christ, which means he's going to be peeling back the, the layers over and over and over again. So at the beginning, I thought the live victory sounded like, a, you know, we're on a parade and we're going to all have band playing and all the rest of it. But Christian life doesn't quite work out like that. As you, as you grow and you, and you gain victory, if you would, in one area, then what happens? We've got to go to the next area. Because there's a Lord that wants you to live, really live. And the more he can get out of, out of our system of the world, the flesh, and the devil, the more you are going to experience the, the wonderful possibilities of life. So there's that. But it's, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. As we trust him, it will take place. It will take place, first of all, because in Jesus Christ, the power of the devil, the power of the world, and the power particularly and most importantly of our own sinful nature was broken. Its hold on us was broken. And at the same time that we were given that deliverance from this, the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God would come to us and he would pressure us forward for the rest of our lives. That's why we can count on the fact that he who began the good work will finish it. It's going to be finished. Not because I'm great at at falling through, but as I trust him, the Spirit of God moves it forward. It's a tremendous life. Right now, last week we were on to this one, and how about this again? We were thinking about abiding. Um, It's a life of lasting significance. Now, that's my, uh, that's my new wording for fruit that remains, all right? I need new wording because if I just say fruit that remains, you've already heard that and you fall asleep on that one. So we're going to do a different one. Lasting significance. Lasting significance is I live by faith. My life has a difference. It makes a difference. As you live by faith, you make a difference. I think that's so important in this particular day because with all the moorings cut in society, there is no, there's no right or wrong or standard. You just do whatever you want to do. Everybody has lost track of which direction they're going. And I, I do feel deeply for young people who have no sense of, are, am I doing it right or not doing it right? Do I count? I think some of the strange things that people wear and the same strange things they do to their bodies are just a, a spiritual attempt, a, a natural attempt to get to spiritual something to make some sense out of their life, to be able to say, I am this, or I am that, or to get an anchor somewhere. If you know Jesus Christ, and you've committed yourself to him, you have him as your life, and everything about what you're doing is potentially significant. That's what the abiding life is about. And it, you don't have to go somewhere else to start. Right? You don't have to be something else. All, that have to, all you have to do today is live in Jesus Christ. Just walk with him in it. That's the picture that we had of abiding. If you abide in me, then what happens? My life begins to come through you. And there's two sides to that in the chapter. On the first, the first dimension of that is as you do that, as you abide in him, as you live close to him, his life starts to be shaped in your life. So that overlaps with the growth part. That you begin to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of the chapter, there is no question that character that, that is the emphasis that's being made. 
Christ-like character. But the point of Christ-like character, as we said last week, is not to polish an ornament. It is to prepare an instrument. Because he wants that character to be in you. And then the same things that he did when he was on the earth to be done through us. Hadn't that something? That he could do a work tonight in this place because we meet together that has eternal significance. Eternal significance. He said fruit that remains. It means it. But that's not just because I'm speaking tonight. That's, I'm not trying to toot a horn and say this. is because I'm here. When we get done with this meeting, we're going to talk to each other. And there's the potential that in the interactions, if you're walking in the Lord, in the interactions, you could meet the need of someone right beside you and do something which counts way after your life is done and my life is done and way on into eternity. There have been a lot of people who have been met by God, by the non-speaker in this auditorium, whether it was back in the days when Mr. Carroll did it, or whether it's the time when others have done it, who have been met as they sat down with somebody who was also in the, in the crowd, and they interacted, and their eternal work was done. You see, the work isn't done by a person. It's not done by the the heroes at the front or something. It is done by the church, and the church is in Christ. And we can all have significance, and you don't have to be anything different than what you are. All you have to do is what? Abide in the vine. You have a connection with him. Walk with the Lord. Trust him. And his life begins to be in you, and it begins to then come through you to bear fruit that remains. Because as that life is in there, he says there's two things. You're going to go, and that's going to be a mentality you develop, that my life is about going for the Lord, It's even if I'm just staying where I'm at, and then I'm going to bear fruit that remains. Well, that was last week, and that's where we've been so far. We're coming down home stretch here, and we want to finish with another dimension of this life of faith, and it's, it's a life of hope. And, and this idea of faith and hope, I want to take a little bit of time for. It's going to take us a little while to go over. Do you remember the, I said at the beginning, it's, it's, going to take some, uh, it's going to take some grace. When I was a student, there was a man named Bob Holston. He stood on this platform, because, anyway, and, and we were in yellow chairs right there. And he was teaching us, he was getting ready for a thing, and he says, he was the one that first told me this. He said, always remember this, that a mist in the pulpit, is a fog in the pew. If you don't get it correct, nobody's going to get it from you. In other words, if you don't know exactly what you're saying, then nobody out there is going to have a clue what you're saying. So you better figure it out before you have to you know, speak. And uh, it went along with his Victorian book on teaching, which said that a teacher must know before he can teach. <laughs> and so we come to this matter of hope and faith. And um, I will just be real honest with you. If, if I told you in the beginning that I had a long time where I was diff- it was difficult for me to define what faith really was all about, well, trying to separate faith and hope, whew, it's tough. And I am greatly encouraged because I, I teach the book of Hebrews and I was going through F.F. Bruce's commentary on Hebrews last year and I was reminded of what he has to say there. He said that in the book of Hebrews, the writer's use of faith and hope are so close that they're virtually interchangeable. (laughs) So, yes, that means that he didn't get it either. He couldn't make a clean distinction between the two. That's in the book of Hebrews, and it is true that he's going back and forth. It's interesting, the word. The word comes from a, a Greek word, which just means to be anticipating something. In the Roman world, it wasn't whether you anticipated good or bad. It was just that you anticipated something. You anticipated the future. And the Romans thought it was a bad thing to do. Don't, don't anticipate the future. Live right now. All right, so they, they kind of poo-pooed the whole idea. When it is used in a biblical sense, it always has the positive idea that I am looking forward to a positive future. All right, that it has to do with the future, but it is a positive future. It is the anticipation. One man put it a happy anticipation concerning the future. Right? So it it has to do with 
looking forward. Right? But it is interesting that in the Septuagint, the word for hope is used to translate at, in certain places the word in the Old Testament for trust. Right? So that the concept right there, it comes back to that idea because it was, it was the idea of, of the waiting part. When we talk about waiting on the Lord, when we're waiting on the Lord, we are anticipating something out there. And so we can make this distinction, all right? This is a distinction you can make, which most of the time works. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's why I really did not like English. This is the rule of grammar, except when it doesn't work. Like spelling, you know, this is the way, there's rules of spelling. This is the way to spell it, except for the exceptions. All right, so this is one of those, and you just have to face it. There are places where this breaks down a little bit, but for the most part, it gets us the right direction. It will help us to see the importance of hope in our Christian life. Faith generally has to do with trust for the immediate present with the anticipation of circumstances either changing or being met. So that tonight, if I am going to present the truth, I have to live by faith, I have to trust the Lord to enable me to clearly describe what the Word of God says. That's a point of faith. We will find out whether that faith has worked or not. As I, you know, there it is. It's because I'm expecting something to take place right now so that you see what God has said and you are brought to a place where you can have confidence in it. All right? Hope, on the other hand, has to do with trusting the Lord about things which don't affect the present. All right? So that we could say that we have the hope. What is a hope? We have the hope that the Lord is returning. He promises in the word that I'm going to leave. I'm going to be back. I will return. But hope doesn't change anything about that. It's not as if if we all got together and hoped hard enough, he would come. It doesn't affect what he does. It affects us. The benefit of faith is that we are met in such a way that we can do what we're called to do and God works in a circumstance. The value of hope is that we are changed, not the circumstances. And we need that change. We need that kind of confidence, a confidence which comes because, it's, because of this concept of hope. Does that make sense which way we're going now? Now, it doesn't always work. But hope is directed towards two, two elements in the Word of God. This is one of the other things that the, you look up all the theological books on. They'll tell you this. It has to do with the unseen and with the future. I think that is particularly comes out because of the coordination which is described at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 of faith and hope. When the writer says this, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction or evidence of things not seen. Right? Faith is the assurance of it. And what the writer is saying there is that we know what God said is going, what he said is going to happen in the future. Right? We know what God has planned out there. Because the writer starts there by, by describing that we have to know certain things about the world we're living in. We have to understand them, and they're not obvious. And we have to accept them by faith. He said, by faith, he's going to go on just a little bit to say, by, by faith, we understand that the worlds were made by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made, weren't made from visible things. They were made from invisible things. See, that's a huge point of faith. Virtually nobody believes that who doesn't believe the Word of God. If you don't accept it from the Word of God, you don't believe that. The ancient religions had a beginning, but the beginning started just where modern science begins, with something that's there which blew up or something. But it wasn't nothing becoming something. So that every concept they ever present of God or of rightness or wrongness is always inside the system. It's always inside this world. 
It, it's, it's a God that dwells in this world. It's, the world is eternal and God lives part of it. The biggest part of it in some people's minds, but still part of it. Right of Hebrews says, by faith we understand something. That these worlds were made by a person who is outside these worlds. That as vast as the universe is, it is contained inside of, if you would, that's a terrible way to put it, but anyway, contained inside of God. That he is on the outside of this. That there is a dimension which is way beyond anything which is seen. So that's the unseen part. It's the evidence of things unseen. Now, what the writer starts off with is that faith, listening to God and putting my confidence in him, gives me the capacity to take hold of that. All right, Take hold of the hope and take hold of the unseen. Because while I'm speaking here tonight, okay, here I am, I'm speaking. I'm counting on the fact Spirit of God is doing a work. And I cannot see the Spirit of God. Right? I don't see Him. There's something in, in the heart of man who wants to, he wants to see a tangible representation, and we saw it in the Lord Jesus Christ. But tonight, there is unseen things happening. That you were drawn here tonight. I have to believe that. You were drawn here tonight by an action of the Spirit of God. That I can do this because He is at work behind the scenes. That's the concept of hope. I can't see that happening. And my belief in that won't change what's happening. But I can move into that realm. And that if I am to live by faith accurately, I am going to have to move out of the seen realm and into the unseen realm. Abraham went on as seeing him who is what? Who is unseen. And that's part of the, the book of Hebrews. The other side of it, of course, is the, concerns the, the future. I believe that the Lord will return. He says that he'll return. But again, as we said, putting our confidence in that doesn't change the fact. It, he's going to come when he want, he's going to come. That's appointed by God, and it's all set up. But if I'm going to live by faith, I'm going to have to grab hold of that truth. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. When I grab it by faith, he says, that that, that hope begins to change my experience. It begins to change the way I look. I change. The circumstance doesn't change. But the change which takes place is imperative to actually living the Christian life. I have to not, I can't live it just in the bounds of what I see here. I have to live it in the bounds of the big reality now, uh, of, of God and, and his future. Now that's, that's part of, we're going to go over that next week. We'll be in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 to finish out our time. And we'll see that with regards to these men. They were men who moved out of time into eternity even while they were living on this earth. They were men who thought in terms of what is going on in the big plan. Now, with Abraham, what was it? First of all, we saw that. that he, he lived and he endured. He kept on going. He stayed in that land just like he was walking with one who was unseen, as seeing the one who was unseen. He did not see God all those years. It's not as if he got up in the morning and, and the eternal God in those days manifested himself any more than he does that today. He does not do that. He's the unseen one. How do we know what he, what he thinks? We read his word. How do I know he's there? I do that by faith. I take hold of it. Abraham did that. Abraham also counted on the fact that, that the reward was bigger than following God on this little planet. That what God had in mind, although he does have something in mind for this planet and the people on it, that his goal, his purpose is way bigger than that. And so he says at the end there that he looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. There is something outside. He was leaving this planet, but when he got there, he would be in another city. Later on in the book, he talks about Moses. We started, we talked, we, we have been over this one before as we were in the fall thinking about faith and how it works. But here's what happens for Moses. He is, he's living in Egypt as a prince. 
And in the Egyptian world, in the ancient world, a few had it all and the rest just supported them. He was on the top of the pile. He had all the pleasures that it was possible to have in that particular culture. He's the honored one. He's the educated one. He's the one with authority. And because of that, he would have the possibility of all the pleasures. He heard the word of God about what would happen to people who rejected the people of Israel. If you, if you bless them, I'll bless you. If you curse them, I'll curse you. And he took a look at his life. It's the only way I can understand it. And he says, you know what? I am on the wrong side of this. I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> Those slaves who are making bricks are in a better place than I am. And so what's he do? In hope. Again, nothing changed. When he, when he went to join that group at the very beginning of his life, when it, 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 40, before he goes and spends his 40 years in the wilderness, when he made the decision to leave Egypt, to give it up, it was because he believed that God would honor his word someday because he, obviously they were not very prosperous at that particular time. And he did it by hope. And he's going to go on in, in the book later in the chapter, which we'll see next week, to describe how faith expresses itself in hope, which enables people to continue because they count on things which they can and things which are way out in the future. Now, all of us are, in to a degree, are, are in that experience. We all believe that there's a resurrection, but we tend to leave hope for the, the tragic moments. Right? We don't think about the glorious things that God has promised until we have a funeral. Funerals, we, we get it in there, and that's good. It's good. It's a good time to do it. Because we are to, we mourn. When we lose those that we love. Because it was never intended to be that way. But we don't mourn, says the writer, says Paul, what? As those that have no hope. They don't, they don't have hope. So, we, so that a, a funeral service for a Christian is. It's a mixture of pain and hope. Right? Because we believe that there will come a day when the resurrection will take place. However, we have a tendency to walk out and not let that hope continue to structure our lives beyond that. Sometimes in the, when I was young, they, they, there were those who, when you thought about this, you know, thinking about the hope that's out there of heaven and all the rest of it, yeah, well, you get heavenly minded and you get all this and you're not going to make any difference. Well, Paul didn't think that way. Paul didn't think that way. It's an interesting prayer that he has at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, um, he's pray, praying for the, or he's giving the account of how he had prayed for the Ephesian church. And he says this, he says, first of all, I, what I want you to have is a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I'm praying the spirit of God will come on you. Just like, again, it's, it's a simple prayer to pray that he will come to us tonight. That's what we would be praying as I'm teaching tonight. The spirit of God would come and take his word and he would... He would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, that you might know who he is and then know how to use that, that information. After he says that, he, he puts out three things that he particularizes that he wants them to understand. And here's the interesting thing about it. Two of those have to do with hope. One of them has to do with the faith side of things. Here are the three things. That you might know what is the hope, of his calling. That you might understand it. What's out ahead. What you can count on. I want you to see what you can count on. Because God has come and called you into the body of Christ. The second thing he says. I want you to understand the inheritance that's out ahead. There's some concern about which way the inheritance should go there. But he wants to know. But it has to do with what's out there. What we're going to experience. If you are a Christian tonight, you are a fabulously wealthy person. We've said that many times. Fabulously wealthy. It's just we haven't gotten there yet. It's all sitting right out here. But Paul wanted him to know there's two things. The third thing he said, and I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. 
Resurrection power. He wants, him to, he wants us to understand resurrection power in our lives. That's tremendous, isn't it? But two of them have to do with this hope issue. Why is that so? Because you can't structure a life of faith if you don't have hope. The two go hand in hand. Now, this is important for us to understand because, as you got on the notes there, the devil is the supremely hopeless one. He has to be because he knows, as, the, as John or as um, Martin Luther put in his hymn, his doom is sure. There is no hope for him. There is no future out there. The only thing that awaits the devil and his angels is destruction. Right? Now, for every human being that's alive and breathing, there is hope. No matter whether they know God or don't know God, there's still hope. Because there's still the chance while a person is breathing, while they have their mind, while they can come to that place of faith, there is the hope that they could enter into all this. But for the devil, it's not that way. And when the devil takes control of something, which he does, he controls this world and its cultures, what's he do? He puts that heaviness on this world. He's always dampering it. Now that will express itself in one of two ways. On the one side, it expresses itself in a t- tremendous pressure towards depression. On the other side, it expresses itself in a tendency towards anger. Because when you become hopeless, you'll do one of two things. You're either going to become depressed or you're going to become angry because of the frustration that goes with that. He's that kind of a being. He's put that on the world. That pressure towards that is constantly around every one of us. Constantly. The world, we, we saw when we were thinking about that courage feature, the world is tough. It's just tough. Life is tough. If I'm going to live the life of faith, I'm going to have to live above that. And so it's imperative that we get hold of it. Now, I want to finish up by thinking about this fact that faith is not just a, sort of a pie-in-the-sky type of thought that I sit around and it makes me feel good on tough days. It is a necessary feature of my everyday living. It's necessary so that I stay in the realm where God is and in the time span he's in. Because our pressure is always to go into the world which we see and live between birth and death. If that's your framework, you cannot live by faith. To live by faith, I have to move out of the seen into the worlds of the unseen. That's where God is. And away from time to eternity. If I can't see eternity, I can't live for the present. Does that make sense? So it's it's real important to it. And God wants you to have hope. And he wants that hope to express itself. Now, again, we have a tendency to think it's going to lead the wrong direction. Now, I'm going to give you a few examples here. These are examples. This is not an exhaustive study. You could go do your own study to find out other places. But places where the Word of God speaks about hope and calls us to vital action. It tells us that something vital should happen because we take hold of a circumstance and hope. Now, the first one is found in 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It's such a great passage. I want to read a couple verses here just to get the momentum of where we're at. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. How about that for us? That we, people who had opposed God, who had lived in ways that were in accordance with God, that we should be called the sons of God. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know, here's the point of, this is the hope. And we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That's a tremendous point of hope that as a, no matter what's struggling with tonight, the Lord comes and you know him, you see him, you're like him. That's a point, that's a promise there that's going to happen. Isn't that wonderful? Well, let's sit down and then we'll just, that's 
let it go. We'll just wait for that day and then we'll all be pure, right? Then he says this, and this is in light of that. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he's pure. if, If by faith you take hold of the hope which is yours of seeing him and being exactly like him, what that will do, if, that's, if that is true in my heart, then what happens today is I start to work on my life to get ready for the day when I'll see him. Rather than leading me to a place where I sit down and wait and just let sin roll over me, I become enthusiastic because I'm going to see the Lord face to face and I want to get ready for that day, even though when I see him, the whole thing will be cleared away. How about that? That's tremendous, isn't it? You see, hope takes us out of present because tonight you might be struggling you might be struggling with a problem with sin you might be struggling with a with a problem that's in your heart that you just aren't getting rid of and i'm not talking just about the terrible sins i'm talking about the things like the fears the things like the frustrations the things like the the pains that you go through and you can't seem to get above it but he says this if i know that right out there i'm going to look at the lord and i'm going to see him face to face that will motivate and strengthen me by faith to get hold of to take hold of it, to begin to work on this and to move towards it. That's just one. Now, we're not going to, again, I just want to see the relationship. The hope is to lead to an action. Paul got uh, word that the Corinthians had a, were having a problem. There were some people in Corinth who were teaching that there was no resurrection. Right? That the resurrection, there wasn't going to be one. Paul decided to write about that, and he wrote a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, but one of those, probably the longest section of 1 Corinthians, is devoted to this idea of that's really crazy. That there has to be a resurrection. In that chapter, he uses the word hope one time because he says, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. We're the dumbest creatures on the face of the earth. If there is no resurrection, but then he goes on to describe the resurrection which will take place. Now, none of us have seen the resurrection. It hasn't taken place yet. That moment when the dead will be raised and they will all be be placed into that final body that we will have in eternity. All of our faith in that is not going to change the timing of it. It will happen when the time has come. But Paul wants them to get hold of this. He wants them to grab hold of that confidence. Because as we're living on this life, we have to know it's going to happen out there. This is just real practical for all of us. Because our bodies get creaky and old. Right? They begin to deteriorate. They begin to have problems. And Paul faces this in 2 Corinthians where he says this, that though the outward man perishes, the inward man is going to be renewed day after day. Another one of those points of faith. Don't worry about it. The inward man will be renewed day after day. But the outward man is perishing. How can I live boldly today when I know that the chances of me being here 20 years from now won't be darn very great? And if I was, I'll probably be so crick, uh, you know, crotchety that I can't do anything anyway. What keeps a person in that time? The resurrection reality. He knows that it's out there. He knows that we know because that's what God says. It's there. By hope, hope is taking hold of that and building a life, counting on the fact that that's so, so that we can live boldly today. What is Paul then at the very end of that chapter? He says, this is the point that you should get out of the fact that there is a resurrection coming. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How about that? It's one of those favorite verses I like to pound people with. (laughs) Because, again, I'm just so concerned that people can think, well, someone, they're, they're fruitful and this person's fruitful, but my ministry doesn't count. I wonder how many of, how many people are represented i wonder if we had a chance because i know a lot of you i've known a lot of you for a long time i wonder how many people if we could see it know god today because of the people in this room 
How many people who were ready to give it up stepped back into the fight because God was in us? Steadfast, immovable, continuing to go forward. Always abounding in the work, but knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because there is a resurrection. And everything we're doing today prepares people for that resurrection. That's tremendous, isn't it? So he says that courage to keep moving. So purification was one point that he that John brings up. Now he says that the, just the courage to keep ministering. And let me tell you again, if you haven't already figured this out, you're going to be tested on that. Because it's the words of our mouth that make a difference in other people's lives. We, we, have, to, we have to be certain things to them. It is the life of Christ being manifested. But Christianity is a confessional thing. It's something we do with our mouth. You are going to be required to say to somebody, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised at a key moment. But you have to say it. You have to proclaim it. You have to point them to it. And the pressure of the devil from the beginning, study the book of Acts, is always this. Keep your mouth shut. Just don't say it. He says, be steadfast and move, always abound in the work of the Lord. But he ties that, that confidence to go forward, to a confidence comes because there's a resurrection. It's worth it because of that resurrection. last one I want to go to is, again, I'm just going to refer to in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Here were men... Some of them in chapter 11 are men of great faith who accomplished great things by faith. Like David who put foreign armies to fight. Fight. Goliath is defeated because of David's faith. Um, There's prophets who would speak and would be bold in their faith. But at the end of the chapter, he says this, but others were stoned. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They went about, he says at one point, in sheepskins and goatskins. That means that you'd been kicked out of society and you just had to make do with whatever you could put together to be your clothing. Fugitives on the earth. He says they went about like this. But he says that they refused to give up on this. Why did they refuse to give up? Because they were seeing him who's unseen. They didn't move from this. They weren't going to deny the Lord because they, they had a confidence in the future. Faith has to do primarily with what we need today. Hope has to do with what's going to happen tomorrow and what's happening in the realm that we can't see. It is that confidence that Paul has in mind when you get to those tremendous verses which finish out Hebrews or Romans chapter 8. It starts with that great thought that everything working together for good. All things are working together for good. That's a point of hope. You can't see that. I can't see that. I don't feel it. And if I try to put it together in my life, I can't make it work out. I can say, yes, this eventually did come to here, but I can see a lot of things in my life that I don't have no way to say that that ever worked together for good. I just can't, I can't put it together. But he says it's so. That's a point in which we have hope. We have confidence that behind the scenes, a God we cannot see is marking it, is putting it all together. Why is that happening? Because God has a purpose for the ones he chose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And he is going to accomplish it. And then Paul goes on to say this, this tremendous one, that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, nothing that happens, nothing that happens is anything but victorious. He's in all the things that could happen. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about all the results of persecution. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The only way he can say that is he had a faith which gave him a title deed to the hope that was out there. Paul would finally have his head cut off by Romans. He has to have confidence in God's future if he's going to stick with it to the end of that. The life of faith is a wonderful life. We have sufficiency. 
we have courage. We know we're growing. We can make a lasting effect. And we can live in hope, constant hope, with an anticipation that it's all out there. God wants us to live, wants us to understand that. Have you taken hold of it? That's, That's the point here for me. It's one thing to know that there is a future out there. Have you taken hold of that future? If you have, you've moved out of time into eternity. You have moved out of the 70 years you'll live on this earth into the big picture. And you can you have released your hold on the things that are seen. It just has to be that way. If you're in this situation, you will also move from the temporal, that is from the things which you see, to the one who is unseen, the one who walks with you every day. You make both of those moves. Paul wanted them to see a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let's ask God to give us that, a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might understand what is the hope of his calling, that we might lay hold of it and live courageous lives. Um, John Stott calls them recklessly courageous lives. In a sense, that's what it is from a human perspective. Because it gives up on trying to soak this earth for life and it begins to live in the real realms of life with God. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you. We give you thanks for your grace towards us and the provisions in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that we have today. We thank you for all those things that we know will come to pass. Enable us to embrace them and to live in light of them. Well, Father, that in this crazy day, we might be those who by faith fulfill your purpose. Who do things which have lasting significance. Who live to your praise and glory. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.